Well, this has been a very busy week for many of us. Uh, the World Challenge Conference, many of us have had wonderful activities all through uh, this weekend. And uh, I was had blessed to have an opportunity to uh, attend a wedding ceremony right after World Challenge Conference on Friday evening. My, uh, my wife and my kids, all four of them, uh, went to a wedding um, if, if, if we did an analysis of that, of, of that decision to bring four children to a wedding, might, might go back and change, rethink that one. Because the truth is, is that, uh, as it turns out, all the Elliot men have a hard time at weddings. <laughs> we, we have a hard time at weddings. But, but my almost two-year-old son has a really hard time at weddings. As a matter of fact, I wish I had the picture right now to show you. There's a picture of me sitting at the table holding him. He's upside down. He's kicking me in the face. I'm kind of reacting like that. It was just a, it was a tough night. It was a wonderful night. It was a beautiful night, but it was tough. And I want to say it was a gorgeous wedding, too. It was beautiful. I always get a little bit scared about outdoor weddings because you never know if it's going to be too hot, too cold, windy. It's Oklahoma, you know? But it was just a, a picturesque wedding. I mean, it even had a little uh, uh, reception facility and then a, the chapel outside, open air chapel, and you walked across a little bridge with a little stream. It was a gorgeous bridge, concrete bridge. It had metal, uh, uh, metal rails on it. You couldn't fall off if you tried. I mean, I don't even think I could hop over the rails as tall and, and strong and, and good. And, and then the stream that uh, ran under it, I mean, it was just so gentle. You could see right through the bottom because it, it didn't have enough water to cover my shoes. Okay, but it was just it was a beautiful picturesque thing. And so during the during the um, the reception, uh, my son, he, he, he needed to get some energy out. I think I did, too. So we we stepped up and we, we walked out and we decided we were going to explore outside just for a few minutes. So we walked around and I held his hand. And we were walking across this bridge. And everything was fine. We liked looking over at the water, and we liked standing on the bridge and jumping on the bridge. And then I let his hand go, and all of a sudden he goes like this. Oh, he's standing at the very top. Is had a little gentle arc to the bridge. He's standing right in the middle of the bridge, concrete, doesn't even bounce. And he's going, oh, and, and I could hear, I could see his mouth. He doesn't know how to speak yet, but he's saying, dah, dah. <laughs> he's calling out for me. I didn't realize that in that moment, this little boy that will climb on top of anything and jump off of anything gets on the bridge and he sees the water and he just locks smooth up. He can't even walk. He gets all tight and tense. And I tried to coax him. Come here, son. Come on, son. He didn't want to make it. He didn't want, he couldn't move. And so I, I just grabbed his hand and I gently led him and he, he sl st slowly started to kind of loosen up and begin to walk. And so he and I, we, we walked across the bridge a couple times. I, I still didn't get him to really loosen up. I, he wouldn't run across it. He wouldn't jump across it. He, he had his eye on both of those sides ready to make sure if anything shifted on him, even though it was concrete, he didn't want to fall off that bridge. And I thought to myself, my goodness, this, this little boy in this moment got so locked up with fear. But the only way that he was able to release that fear is he knew that his daddy loved him. That his daddy was strong enough to pick him up and his daddy was there with him. I wonder, 
What kind of message that is for us this morning? I think somebody needs to hear that this morning, that your, your daddy God, he loves you so very much. That his arms are strong. He can save you. And he's present in your trouble. He's present at your time. He's present there. He doesn't want to see you fall into that, I mean, that little creek that'll get you clothes damp. Okay? He doesn't want to see you stiff and scared and can't even move. He wants to... He wants to see us run. He wants to see us jump. He wants to see our hearts fill with joy, with a security, knowing that God has got us. Amen? And, and so as, as I, I saw him move across that bridge, it just it touched my heart, and I realized that that's present in my own heart, my own life. I, of course, I didn't have a hard time walking across the bridge, but there's been moments in my life where I've really struggled with fear. That really gripped me, anxiety that, that controlled my life, a sense of doubt and discouragement that plagued me. I'm telling you, I've had panic attacks where I didn't think I was, I, I, I realized that I didn't take a breath for like a long time. I just so locked up, couldn't breathe. I go back to 2018. It was a year that I was making a transition uh, into the military. I, uh, commissioned, direct commissioned as an officer into the military as I was a chaplain candidate. And everything was wonderful. Everything was great. I, I made my commitment. I, I signed my name across the page and everything was good until I actually had to start becoming an officer. And it's a little bit different, you know, making the agreement and then actually doing it. Turns out the army expects you to like do stuff. <laughs> Who'd have thought? And what used to be able to be imagined, be controlled in my mind, what used to, I, I could use to look at my schedule and keep it in my mind and balance everything. It was, it was kind of tight sometimes, but I would be able to balance all my assignments, be able to balance all my, my responsibilities, objectives, and tasks. I could do that in my mind, but very soon I realized that uh, there was a lot to, to maintain, a lot to try to balance. And so uh, as I looked at uh, what I had to do, I realized I need to become a little bit more organized. And so I decided I was going to keep a notebook. So I pulled out a, this black notebook and I, I, I began to keep a task list and I would write all my tasks down and then I'd have a Monday uh, through Sunday calendar and I would schedule my tasks out and then I would record little parts of my day that were, that were significant. I'd look through all that and every morning I'd look at it, every night I'd look at it, I'd write in it throughout the day, I'd cross things off and I was tedious about keeping accountability of, of myself and my time and my tasks. I was laser focused on it. Because I believed in some way, shape, or form that, that, that if I just focused, if I just worked a little harder, if I just pushed a little harder, that, that I could have a peace of heart and a peace of mind because I was crossing things off the list. But instead of, of that peace that, that surpasses all understanding, it was a peace that I tried to created in my life. It was a control that I tried to, to, to grab in my life, and in, in what I tried to do in bringing myself peace, unfortunately, I, I only created more anxiety. I only created more fear, because I realized soon that, that, that before, I, I could just 
think about what I had to do, and I, I would kind of do it, and I'd, I'd kind of feel my way through it. And I had this sneaking suspicion all the time that I was failing or I was missing something. It was kind of that, that feeling that you're always kind of standing on the edge. Some of you are getting scared right now, saying, back up, back up. And I wanted to, ju- no, I'm just joking. <laughs> I wanted to jump off because I always felt like I was about to fall. And then I realized, I need to write this down. And I, I started writing it down. The problem is, is that no longer was I concerned whether I was missing something. It was there black and white. I was missing it. I was failing. Now I had evidence that things weren't working in my life. I had evidence that I didn't have enough time to complete the task. I had evidence that there wasn't enough willpower in the tank to make things happen. Over the course of four months, I did this, and, and over that four-month period, my wife can attest to this, I, I, I was gripped by anxiety, gripped by fear, gripped by, by, by a desire to try to, to, to determine the, the, the state of my life, but instead of, of trusting in God, and I knew the Scripture, I knew to trust God, instead of doing that, I tried to take it in my own hands, I tried to make it happen my own way, and I failed. There's these giants of school, these, these giants of, 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 of becoming an officer, this giant responsibility here at Christ's Legacy, the giant responsibility of being a new father, being a husband, being a pastor. I couldn't balance it. Couldn't make it work. I remember not sleeping. I remember, I wish sometimes whenever I got stressed, I didn't eat. <laughs> have the other problem. I remember things being hard. I wish I could tell you this morning that I learned how to conquer that giant. I wish I could, I could be here this morning and tell you I, I learned the secret, the 15 steps of living by faith, the 15 steps of overcoming your fear, the, 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 the 12 steps of, of, of delivery from the giants, the, 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 the picking up the five smooth stones and I didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't. You know, to be honest with you, th- to this day, if I had to experience that, if I had to go through that again, I wonder if I, I would be okay. Because the truth is, is that I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not, I'm not wise enough, I, I'm, not, I'm not anything enough to be able to overcome that kind of adversity on my own. I couldn't. That's why I like stories like David and Goliath. Don't you? I mean, we grew up in, in church, and we grew up uh, 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 with a little felt board, and, you know, <laughs> that, that Goliath was about this big on the felt board, and David was like this big, and then we had the little stones that we always lost, and we'd showed the stone going and hitting Goliath right in the, between the eye, and he'd fall, and then we'd have to turn the felt picture this way, you know, and you know, some of you know what I'm talking about. The students are like, what's felt? <laughs> well, we, we do that. We love David and Goliath because we, we always wanted to pretend like we were the hero. We were David. We, we, we could go and slay the giant. 
If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. As you're turning there, we're going to read through the story of David and Goliath, and we're going to look at that story. But this morning, as you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of context behind this, this book. I want to give you some context to the prophet Samuel as, as you go there. Samuel was the author of most of 1st and 2nd Samuel. I say that because 2nd uh, Samuel was finished after Samuel passed away. So evidently there, there were some, some historians, some, some minor prophet there that would finish his work. And Samuel's work, in, at least in 1st Samuel, was to record the transition of power in the nation of Israel from one person to the next over nearly a, a, an entire century. We see that first there was Eli, and there was a transition from the priest Eli to the prophet Samuel. And then there was a transition from Samuel to King Saul, who God anointed and appointed as king. And then there was a, a, a transition from Saul when Saul was disobedient to God, to, to the, the, the King David that took control of the, of the uh, nation and became the nation's greatest king uh, as a representative of God. But we see that by 1 Samuel chapter 17, at this point, Saul was had experienced victory after victory, had, had put down uh, other uh, competing nations that were trying to invade the, the nation of Israel because na the nation of Israel was positioned in a prime area that uh, just the, the, the area right between Africa and the rest of the world so that anybody that was traveling through that area would have to go through the nation of Israel. And Israel became very wealthy and became very strong. And Saul had, uh, was fighting these wonderful battles and winning, but as Saul moved from a dependency on God to a dependency on himself or other idols, then he began to live in disobedience. And God pulled his anointing, his favor off of King Saul as he lived in disobedience. And the nation of Israel began to weaken and weaken and weaken until they became at a point where the Philistine army took over mo most of the coastal region. They took over that, that money area that the nation of Israel once inhabited. And, and now the Philistine army, they, they wanted to completely destroy and run out Israel from the area. And so they had marched from the coast to the, through the coastal plain and into the hill country. And what they tried to do uh, was to come up the Valley of Elah and split the nation into two, divide the nation, and then conquer the nation on either side, to the north and to the south. And here, at the Valley of Elah, where, where the Philistine army had gathered together, Israel set up on the other side of the valley. They were ready for, for war. It was springtime, and in this valley, this valley served to, to take the, uh, to take the, the stream, the, 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 the brook of Elah, out to the Mediterranean Sea. And so there was this, uh, this, this wide stream that separated these two armies, both located on each opposing hillside. And they, the, the Bible tells us that, the, that both armies were splayed out, ready, arrayed out, ready to go to battle. But the problem with this geographical terrain was very simple. 
if whatever army initiated the conflict would have to come out of, uh, of their area, they'd have to walk down their hill, they'd have to cross that stream, they would be wet, and immediately they would go uphill fighting an uphill battle, and it was almost certain defeat to either army. And so over the course of 40 days, they were gridlocked and not able to move. Now, in the Middle East, they, they had a practice. They would stand off, but if neither army could uh, gain a, a, an advantage, they would, they would try to outmaneuver the army or, or just fall back and go home and wait till next season so they could have a surprise attack. But the Philistines, they, they come from a different area, a different region. They were, they were what we call proto-Greek, proto-Greek. They were just before Greeks, okay? They fell into the Hellenistic era. The, these people were, were thoughtful. They, they, they planned, they were strategic, but they were very evil people. They worshiped, uh, they worshiped Baal, that's where we get the, the name Beelzebub, or the devil. They were Satan worshipers. These people also worshipped Asherah, that, and, and, and Baal and Asherah were, were together, and, and, and you would not believe some of the belief system that they had, uh, the, the sexuality, the, 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 the twisted ideas of worship that they had. It was just horrible. It was a horrendous sight before God. It was a stench before our Lord. And then they would come up before the army of Israel and, and decide that they were going to be there. They were going to take control of God's holy land, the land that God had for Israel. It was a beautiful valley. I, I looked at pictures of this valley in my preparation. And let me tell you something. I was surprised. You know, in the, in, on those felt board pictures, you always look and it's desert. You know where they're fighting? This is a beautiful, fertile valley. Beautiful trees, huge trees, beautiful stream. It was so green and so lush. Isn't it just like Satan to come when life is so wonderful, so fantastic, God's blessing is all around you. And there, right at that point, a battle approaches you and you get locked up with fear. And you realize something, that, that, that Satan is attacking you at the very point of peace at your life. What once was so good, what was, once was so comfortable and so nice, all of a sudden becomes a war ground. Your marriage, your job, relationships with family and friends. All of a sudden, the enemy of your life comes at that point to, to divide you, to, to rip you apart, to, to separate you from, from, from what God has for you and, and the blessing and the security and the promises that God has. And you're at a point, you get locked up. You don't know what to do. See, the nation of Israel would have just retreated and, and waited for a better time for the conflict, but, but the Philistines, they, they came from a different region and they brought a different practice. They decided a single combat that would decide both sides of slavery. So they sent out their best warrior, Goliath. The Bible tells us that he was anywhere from 6'9 to 9'9. It sounds fantastic to believe that he was 9'9, but I'll, I'm here to tell you that most scholars actually believe that he was closer to 9'9 or 10 foot tall than 6'9 based on the, the scripture translations. This was a giant of a man. And as a matter of fact, if, if we look at the text, we could really understand 
what Goliath was all about in 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting at verse 4. It says, Then Goliath, a Philistine, champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of, of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore a bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on, on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy as, and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a, a shield. Now, this, this picture of Goliath is, is amazing, and we can get a whole bunch from just the description of Goliath. And I, I could do an entire sermon series on, on just this account in Scripture. But I want to I take you through a, a quick description of Goliath. Goliath, just his name, means impressive one. Impressive one. Big guy. Makes sense, doesn't it? Impressive one. And then we come to the... To the a peculiar word that we see that is described Goliath because it only occurs once in the Hebrew text, champion. This is the only place in the Hebrew text that we find the word champion. And here, champion is meant as this. The man that stands between. The man that stands between. The impressive one that stands between. Just in these two words, Goliath champion, we have this illustration, this picture in our mind of, of a giant that stands between you and whatever God has for you in your life. What is your Goliath? What is that giant that stands between you and whatever promise that God has made you in your life? God, I'm believing that I, I'm healed in Jesus' name, but yet there's a doctor's report that says I'm not healed yet. God, I'm believing in you that I'm going to be able to find a house to buy, but yet there's not a house that pops up on the market. God, I'm believing you that you're going to have a job for me so I can support my family, but there is not a job in sight, God. There, and we can go on and on and on about the giants that are in our life. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you this morning, that I don't care who you are, how big and strong and tough you are, that each and every one is going to experience a giant in our life. And if you don't put your faith, hope, and trust in the, in the Lord Almighty, he will run you down and he will wear you out. You see, a giant, that Goliath, that champion, is anything that stands between what you and what God has for you. The giant had a biological edge on David, whereas the tallest person in all of Israel was King Saul, and scholars speculate that he was about 5'8 and 5'9. Turns out I'm a giant <laughs> 3,000 years ago. I'm just saying, I'm just born out of my time. He had a technological advantage. He had tools that were bronze, a spear shaft, a, a head that was iron. This thing, I mean, if you threw it, it would punch a hole in the side of a Buick. 
I mean, it's huge. And the terms were forbidding. That the winner would make the loser slaves, the whole army. Every day for 40 days, every morning, every night, Goliath would walk into the valley and he would curse Israel. He would taunt them. He'd tell them to come out if they dared. I remember during that time in my life, 2018, that fear would grab a hold of me and, and everything that I listed on that page would just stand at me, stare back at me and taunt me and say, you can't do that. You can't get it done. And you know what the truth is? Is it was right. I couldn't. I didn't have enough time. I didn't have enough me to do all that was required. I don't know what's looking at you right now, looking back at you and telling you that you can't do something, but I'm not a, I'm not a self-help preacher. I, 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 I'm not a preacher that's just going to make you feel good about yourself. I'm here to, this morning to tell you that you can't do it. You can't will yourself to beat the, the giant in your life. It has to come not by might, not by power, but by his spirit, says the Lord Almighty. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 43. I'm not, I, I know that many of you know the story. That's why I'm not going into detail about reading it. David determines that he's going to fight this giant because he believes in the Lord God Almighty. He, he, he shows up. He hears it. He doesn't want to wear Saul's armor. He's going to go out and he's going to fight the battle on his terms, on, on, on the terms that he feels more comfortable in. So he picks up five smooth stones from the brook of Elah. He walks out, and here we are, toe-to-toe, -to -toe, David and Goliath. And Goliath sees a, a boy, 17, 18 years old, standing in front of him. No armor, no weapons to, to be seen. And he's insulted. He says, verse 43, Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistines, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, whom you've defiled. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. And he will give it to us. Everyone wants to be David in this passage of scripture. Everyone wants to kill the giant, but I want to tell you this morning that we don't have the ability. We don't, we're not wise enough. We're not strong enough to do it. It's the Lord's battle this morning. I want to tell you what's wrong with this picture. Why do we wake up every morning and believe and trust in God and put our faith in him? And we, we determine inside of ourselves, we make a commitment to ourselves that we're not ever going to pick up that alcohol again. We're not ever going to go to that website. We're not ever going to have that relationship again. We're not ever going to fail or fall or falter or doubt or, or have a problem. But, but then we walk around in defeat. We live our lives in defeat. And we say, I, I want to be David. 
but I can't help but be Israel's army. The problem is, is that we want to do what David did. We want to win what David won, but we're not willing to believe what David believed. Ladies and gentlemen, very quickly, I want to share with you this. First, we must have passion, just like David had passion for the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, The Lord doesn't see things the way that we see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's so easy to believe. It's so easy to go through the motions. It's so easy to act like we're passionate, but very, very often what resembles passion for God is actually simply a desire for God to do something in our lives. Instead of chasing after God, we're chasing after the gifts. Instead of searching for him, we search for the answer to the problem. Ladies and gentlemen, Let's live our life with passion for him. That's what he's calling us to do, to live with passion. But many of us have a hard time knowing how to live our life for passion, with passion. Because we want to be genuine. We don't want to be fake. And the truth of the matter is, is this, is that, is that we, we, would, we would rather not if it means that we would have to fake it to make it. We don't want the, we don't want the artificial, we want the genuine experience, but we've never had the genuine experience or it's been such a long time, we don't know what it's like. I don't wanna tell you to fake it, to make it this morning. What I wanna tell you is simply this, perspective will bring the passion. When we step back and we really understand who God is, then we can have a passion encounter with him. Look at what David, how David described God and his relationship. Psalm 63, 1 through 3. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. In this parched and weary land where there is no water, I have seen you in your sanctuary. I gazed upon your power and your glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. That's a different kind of perspective. It's a different kind of perspective that causes us to be passionate about who he is and what he can do for our lives. Secondly, David desired God's power. David was confident in God and his ability to bring victory in his life. Not just confident that God could, but confident that God would bring victory. There's not a man in that army that didn't believe that God could bring victory. But David was the only man that believed that God had already brought victory. But the difference here is simple, is that it was a difference between belief and faith. Belief and faith. Pastor John, there's no such difference. It's, it's a synonym. It's not synonym. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? It's a different word that means the same thing. Thank you. It's not. Belief is the knowledge, the belief that something will happen. Faith puts belief into action. 
the entire army believed that God could, David was the one with the faith that walked into the valley and believed that God had already done it. We're called to be a people that lives by faith for it's impossible to please God without faith. That's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. Look at, look at the evidence, 1 Samuel 17, 26, 36, and 46. Who is this pagan Philistine uh, anyway that, that he is allowed to defy the armies of God? 36, I have killed both lions and bears, and I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And watch verse 46. It gives us a clue in the perspective that David has about God and what he has already accomplished. Today, David says, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. I want to show you this. God conquered him. David cut the head off. Ladies and gentlemen, God has already fought and won your battle. All you have to do is step out into the valley and put your belief into action. Put your belief in action. Lastly, it's presence. A desire, a passion for the presence of God Almighty. Look at this passage. Nowhere in it do you see that God has come given David a vision of victory. There was no divine revelation. There was no dream that he had. There was no angelic representation. There wasn't a scripture. David didn't get a chance to read 1 Samuel chapter 17 before he walked out. He just believed that God was present and willing and able. That God was a present help in time of trouble. Some of us are, will, are waiting on God to come and say it's going to be okay. And God is waiting on you to begin to step out and walk into the valley and do something about what God has already done in your life. If you're willing, would you stand up with me all over this place? Because it's in the, these moments that the Spirit of God comes. It's in these moments right here, whenever we put our, our belief into action, we begin to step out and we encounter a God that is already waiting for us in the middle of that valley to hand over the victory. What are you believing God for this morning? What giant are you facing? What, what thing is stand separating you between you and what God has for you? Right now, all over this place, Right now, all, all over this place, I want you to think about what, what giant you're facing right now. Heavenly Father, I pray, God, right now that your Holy Spirit would move throughout this place. Lord, there are men and women and children, young people in this place right now that perhaps they're going through the battle of their lives and they are so tired, they're worn out because they are fighting, fighting, fighting. Lord, but it's not their battle to fight, it's yours. The battle belongs to the Lord right now. I pray, God, that you would take their belief and, and infuse it, Lord, with faith. Build their faith so that they can believe in your word, so that they can step out and walk out and receive the victory that you've already won for us. In the name of Jesus, I pray.